It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.07 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do. And this morning, if you want to be successful growing a lawn, I have a special guest. Clint Waltz, the University of Georgia Turf Specialist, has been with us several times before. And Clint is the guy to talk to if you have a grass question or a grass problem. So if you want to get your questions answered, here's the day to, here's the day to do it, 404 Eight seven two zero seven fifty, and you know, let's get everybody else out of the way first, and then we'll get Clint in here to talk about the uh, lawn. So let's talk to Richard and Kennesaw first about his azaleas. Hey, Richard, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? Hey, man, doing all right. What you need? Um, question about propagating azaleas. I think uh, several weeks back you may have been off, and I think Vicky was in. She's talking about it. and said that. Probably the best time to do that would be like July. Yeah, when things have grown a little bit and hardened a little bit, that's the best time to take a cutting. Okay, I did something last spring when I read an article and they said take cuttings like early spring, late spring, and then I I failed miserably at it. Yeah. And then there was another, uh, I have a lady in my neighborhood at Master Garden was talking about how to do it. Right on the branch? Sure, right. air layering. There's several ways. They're all yeah, called. I couldn't remember the term. Air okay. layering is on the branch. Soil layering is in the soil. And cutting layering, I guess, is when you take cuttings like you tried to do. Okay. So how do you do all that? Well, um, in brief, basically you take a cutting when the, again, when the, when the branch has hardened a little bit. You only take a cutting about six or eight inches long. And so on your azalea, you go and try to snap one at about the six inch level. When it snaps cleanly like a pencil, then it's ready, it's hard, and you can take other cuttings from the rest of the azalea to propagate. And again, that's sometime in June, early July. And what I'm not going to give you all the details because you need some written down stuff, but basically you take a cutting, then you put it into loose, well-drained soil, put a what I use myself as a dome that I make out of a two liter soft drink bottle. Take a Coke bottle, cut the bottom off and put it over the cutting. And then keep it moist and put it in a sort of a shady, bright shade location. It will, after uh, eight weeks or so, you'll get a root at the bottom of the cutting and let it grow out for the next several months. And pretty soon you've got a little azalea you can put wherever you want to. So that's one way of doing it in the soil. Uh, another way is the, your master gardener friend who said she air-layered things. That's when you scrape the branch on the azalea, a bigger branch, probably about an eighth to a quarter inch big. You scrape it, you put some rooting, so, rooting hormone onto it, and then you wrap that up with sphagnum, sphagnum peat moss, and then you wrap that up with plastic to keep it from getting dry, and wrap that up with aluminum foil to keep it from getting so much light in there and wait again eight weeks. It'll root there on the, on the azalea. You cut it off and plant and the other one, if you have a big azalea, a lot of times they'll do it all naturally by themselves. The limbs will touch the ground, and they will simply root there where they touch the ground. So that's called soil layering. Okay. Now, is one better than the other? I think the one where you do take the cutting is better if you are trying to do lots and lots of, of cutting propagation. If you need, like, 40 
azaleas from your mother plant, then yeah, cuttings would be the best way because you can take a lot of cuttings off one plant. For just general, um, works the best and 100% just about every time. Soil layering works about 100% for me. And the air layering is just interesting because you get to propagate something above the ground, aluminum foil wrapped up in your azalea looks sort of weird and interesting. It's a miracle when you cut the aluminum foil off after eight weeks and it's just full of roots, just full of roots in that sphagnum moss and you can cut it free from the mother plant and plant the roots. That, that's pretty interesting to see that happen. If you need some details on that, Richard, let me just mention, you can go to my website and type the word propagate or propagation, and it has two or three articles that I have with pictures of how to do all these things, how to propagate the air layering, the you know cuttings, and the uh, soil layering, all three of them. So go there if you want full details. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, Richard. It's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. We've got, let's see who's coming up next here. Let's talk about Zoysia grass. Tammy in Woodstock joins us. Hey, Tammy, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, hey, great, Tammy. What's going uh, on? Oh, okay, good. Well, we had some windows put in uh, last week, and then uh, like maybe two days later, I noticed very large, uh, two to three foot square, very dead spots in my yard, uh, yeah. square, window shaped. So I, I reached out to the the place and they said oh it'll grow back and i'm not real happy with that <laughs> so i i don't really know how to proceed if i need to test the soil to see if it was something they sprayed on the windows or if it is just the grass that's dead i'm not sure what to do next i have a question before clinton jumps in here i have a question did they lay the the glass and lay the windows on your grass or they never laid it on the grass it just simply came off the truck and was installed on your house which happened right well that yeah that was the first thing i thought i'm not positive they may have laid it down but um we had windows put all the way around the whole house and uh it um yeah it didn't do it anywhere else so that is a possibility I've actually but seen something similar to this before, Tammy. Um, ah, yes. And and, uh, and and this is zoysia grass, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, zoysia grass is a nice warm season, um, a perennial species. It, it has above ground rhizomes and stolons, which is going to be of benefit here to you. Odds are good. What happened is, is that glass or those windows got put down and. You know, it's kind of like as a kid, um, and maybe, you know, I grew up out in the country, and I did some things maybe Mom should, wouldn't have been real proud of. But, uh, you know, I get that new magnifying glass, and I'm out burning ants and, and other insects and that kind of thing. So yeah, you, you can intensify. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not alone um, But um, uh, on it. And I imagine that's a lot what you had right here. It's just that heat being magnified down on onto that grass, and you've got really nothing more than just a, a bad sunburn on that on those leaves. And uh, your your contractor's right. It will likely come back. Um, you've got mostly what's what's likely just mostly uh, leaf burn on it, and uh, those rhizomes and stolons will allow it to regenerate and come back. So it's pretty hard to kill zoysia grass with with just a, a putting glass down or putting putting your windows down for for a day or so and heating that soil up. So uh, give it a little time. It's going to be a little slow coming back, and that's the nature of zoysia grass as well. 
But uh, should, should I fertilize? Should I fertilize that area? Or, no, I don't uh, think so. I think I'd just let it go. Um, if anything, you might want to just mow everything down just a little bit. If you want to drop your mowing height down a a, a notch or two. Uh, and open up the soil, especially with the temperatures we've got coming this coming week, where we will be up in the 80s, and the nighttime temperatures will be down just in the 60s. So if we can get a little more heat down through that canopy and down to the soil surface, you may stimulate a little bit more growth a little quicker. But uh, patience patience is, is going to be the thing here. Oh, good. And that's tough, because I need Walter. I can't grow kudzu, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping I, I can do this. So. I tell okay, many, of our, well, many of our county agents and homeowners and, and uh, commercial landscapers is, is uh, patience is always the hard thing to sell. Patience is a hard thing to apply as well, sometimes, <laughs> too. Thank you, Clint. Let's go to, let's see, we've got Barbara in Lilburn here. Barbara, if you get it in real quick, we'll get you off the air or off the phone, because you've been waiting so long. Hey, Barbara, Good morning. Good morning. I wanted to ask you, I have a whole lots of uh, knockout roses, and I, I have one little uh, batch of them, <clears throat> excuse me, that has uh, new red leaves sticking up, but they're not curly like that stuff with all them uh, uh, thorns. The roses, yeah, it's it's pretty it common for growth? them to, for knockout roses to have sort of reddish, purplish growth that is not yeah. gnarly, not real thorny, right. doesn't look abnormal and so if you have a normal looking rose with a little bit of red foliage that's fine that's normal okay but it's a really, well, i had really another rose sitting right that. by it that had that other stuff on it yeah and i haven't dug it up should i dig it up we Absolutely. cut all that off but get it out and cutting it off really doesn't do anything to cure the underlying disease it spreads throughout okay. the rose so, so i need to take that rose up and get rid of it yesterday it's not a it's not a knockout but it's sitting right there close to them, so I need to get rid of that all, as all soon as All roses get the disease, so yes, it needs to come out immediately. Keep an eye on the one next door to it. If it does develop lots of thorns or the gnarly sort of look to it that I've described before, then it needs to come out too. Go If you okay. want to look at some pictures, i got great pictures, Barbara, on my website of rose rosette virus disease. You can look at all those pictures. There's a couple of links on on the web too. But you can see all the pictures of things and see if it compares to the rose you have and see if the one that's coming out, if it develops symptoms, you'll know exactly what to look for and you know now exactly what to do. It's 717 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 430 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. Happiness hit the Sing a little bit here. This girl can put out some music. There she goes, Florence and the Machine. Come on, Florence, let it go, girl. Come on, here we go. The dog days are over. Oh, it's going to be a warm day tomorrow. Today, too. Your quick weather update brought to you by, by Finley Roofing. I keep forgetting Finley Roofing. 
sunshine all day today. 77 is a high, 56 degrees and low tonight. A couple of clouds tomorrow, but Sunday will be 80 in the afternoon, 57 overnight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Rose in Stone Mountain joins us with a question not about lawns, but about sunflowers. Hey, Rose, good morning. Hello there. Good morning. Hi. Uh, last year, I saw something about sunflowers. It said, don't let the seed fall in the garden when they start to you know, go to seed. Yeah. And then I'm seeing something this year that they're detrimental to some vegetables like potatoes and beans and that they put a chemical in the ground that's not good for them mm. and that they also attract aphids and whiteflies. Wow. So Some bad things are wrong with sunflowers. <laughs> sunflowers, their reputation is shredded now, Rose. Uh, yeah. Oh, and also the other thing, talk about shredding. Don't plow the the remains back into the ground. You know the leaves. You know what's the debris when they bloomed. Don't put that back in the ground. If you had a hundred acres of sunflowers, the advice you got would be perfect. But because because you're only growing five, ten, twenty, maybe sunflowers in your vegetable garden, the allelopathic—that's the word for when a right. flower yeah, has chemicals in it—the allelopathic uh, issues with sunflowers are negligible. In other words, it doesn't matter if you put them in your vegetable garden; it won't keep your tomatoes and potatoes and other things from growing. And the attraction for insects is probably not a big one either because they also attract a lot of beneficial bugs to the assassin bugs and things. Love being on sunflowers are great beneficial insects. So I have no reason why I would tell you not to plant a sunflower in your vegetable garden. Everything is fine. Okay, we'll go with it. You are doing fine. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for calling, Rose. Bye. One of the things that I think, Clint, you and I both deal with a lot is things that people hear or learn, they think, on the Internet that's good for your lawn, good for your lawn to do this. And one of the biggest um, promoters of weird lawn theories was Jerry Baker, America's master gardener, who would recommend you put a concoction of beer, molasses, <laughs> what else is in there, dishwashing detergent, I'm sure. Yep. What do you think about all of that? From a turf perspective, I see of no benefit. No benefit so, at all. Not going to hurt anything. Well, you know, there are some of our dish detergents and some of those things that they will put in there that they can cause some burn. Yeah. Uh, most of it's temporary on lawns. Um, but as far as it goes with any, you know, real benefit to insect control. Molasses? Or, molasses? Beer? You wouldn't put a molasses or beer? I don't see it. They, no. <laughs> uh, no. Clint Walsh is not putting any good beer on his lawn. No siree. Bobcats. 404-872-0750 is our number. Lawn and garden questions today. Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia answer your lawn questions. We'll be back right after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.35 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape. Today, my guest, Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia. They're turf specialist down in Griffin, Georgia. But he serves, of course, all the state with his research and with his plots and grass evaluations that he does there, as well as uh, techniques of growing and making sure your lawn looks the best that it possibly can. We've got lots of lawn questions in front of us this morning. Let's get one from Dan out in Lawrenceville. 
Hey, Dan, welcome to Lawn and Garden. Good morning, good morning. Yes, I sir. have emerald zorgia grass. Okay. And uh, I know it's time to fertilize, but I've also got a variety of weeds. So what should I do, just put down in the circle of the fertilizer or weed and feed uh, instead? What do you think, Clint? Weed and feed or just straight fertilizer? This time of year, I think we'll be fine with the weed and feed. Um, a month ago, I think we still had some cold weather in front of us, and I probably would have just said, uh, let's go with the uh, the herbicides but and, and lay off the fertilizer. But uh, where we're heading right now, we are at the end of April. Soil temperatures are rising. And uh, so I think now is a good time to, to get your fertilizer out for your, for your zoysia grass. We certainly don't want to fertilize it too early, and I think here we are approaching 1st of May this coming week. Uh, we're, we're not too early for the for the metro Atlanta area. So. so you say like when it's 80 or 90% green is when you start thinking about fertilizing, Clint? I, I like to use soil temperatures okay. uh, uh, on it. So when soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth are consistently 65 degrees and rising, um, so at 65 is where we see our warm season grasses initiating uh, new roots. So there's no need in putting that fertilizer out before the roots are there to actually absorb it and move it up into the plant. Yeah. So may as well put the fertilizer out when the plant's actually producing roots and can uptake that fertilizer and and, and use it. So, so what are the soil temperatures now? Uh, actually, I was looking at some data earlier this week. Uh, the average for the month of, of, of April in Griffin, so you think about that being centrally located to the state of Georgia, uh, was 64.1. So uh, just... Just right there at the at the precipice, yes. So um, uh, on it, but uh, I, I we're warming up over the last couple of weeks, and in this coming week, I think we'll see things moving in the right direction. So all right. So basically, now Dan, you can do is weed and feed earlier. You wouldn't want to put fertilizer out earlier because the roots weren't there. But as now the roots are starting to grow, you can put a fertilizer, or I guess weed and feed. Either one would be fine. If you got weeds, weed and feed. Okay, now, if I do the weed and feed now, do I come back later with the fertilizer, and if so, when? Well, the, the feed part of the weed and feed is fertilizer, so you, how many applications can you do of weed and feed, Clint? On zoysia grass, you may not need more than one okay. um, on this, because I suspect what he's got right now is more of the winter annual broadleafs. Yeah. So if, he's putting yeah, sure. out a, if, if you're putting out a weed and feed right now, I'd be looking at the fertilizer-broadleaf-weed combination type of things. Uh, on it, and many of those annual broadleaf weeds are, are going to die out here in the next couple of three weeks. And uh, so, one application is just going to make them good and sick. And as weather warms up, they're going <laughs> to wind up kind of going over the edge. So, I would think just a single application of, of your weed and feed right now. Uh, and would then, be on zoysia, how many times would you fertilize with zoysia fertilizer sure. or with turf fertilizer? Uh, for zoysia grass, my recommendation there is four half pound applications throughout the growing season. So if you wait, put a, yeah, wait a minute. You're going to say something that people don't know what you're talking about. It's not a half a pound of fertilizer you're talking about, though. It's half a pound of nitrogen. Very good. And right? how do you figure out what's half a pound of nitrogen? Well, you got to do a little bit of math based on, on where, where you are on that fertilizer analysis there um, on it. But um, the quick quick on that is is uh, if, if I put out a half a pound of nitrogen per thousand square foot in yeah. May, yeah. half pound in June, half pound in July, half pound in August. Uh, so zoysia grass doesn't need a lot of fertilizer, uh, so feeding it just with uh, half a pound of nitrogen four times uh, once a month throughout the summer, um, we can grow some really good zoysia grass. I think I can describe the math well enough. Okay. I can do actually two ways to describe the math. First way, you take the first number of the fertilizer bag, maybe let's say a 20, 25, 3, 8, something like that. 
Take the first number, that's the nitrogen number, divide it into a hundred, and the result is how many pounds will give or how many pounds of that fertilizer will give you one pound of nitrogen. So if twenty-five goes to a hundred four times, four pounds of that fertilizer gives you one pound of nitrogen. And half of that would be obviously two, two. pounds. So you put two pounds of uh put two pounds of fertilizer out to give you half a pound of nitrogen. The other way, in my observation, Clint, the label on the fertilizer bag almost always says the rate for this bag will give you about a pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet. So you just half whatever it says on the back of the bag. Very good. Uh, what's I think the the modern terminology? That's a nice little hack. <laughs> a little hack right there. Uh, I'm, the I'm learning. I'm learning some of these <laughs> these new terminologies too. And then this hack thing is is kind of a new one to me. But uh, right. I, I think that's a, a great way to look at it. And you're right. Uh, many times those bags are calibrated based on a on a pound a pound of n per thousand. Kelvin is out in Conyers with a question about his big sloped yard, lots of sun. All right, Kelvin, what you got? What you want to know? Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to know what type of grass I should grow. Um, it's about an acre, full Ooh. sun, gentle slope, and no irrigation. Uh, lots of sun. All right. Okay. So. The, the challenge on this is actually the no irrigation part. Um, whether, whether we sod or seed uh, this site, you're generally going to need some water to get it up and growing and roots established on it. Um, from, from your description, the, I would be looking at something like Bermuda grass. So if it's full sun um, on a slope, Bermuda grass is pretty hard to beat. And as much as an acre, you want something other probably cost effective. Yeah. Um, so that could either be sodded. That could be sprigged, or there's a couple of new uh, Bermuda grass seeds out there, too, or seeded cultivars out there uh, that you might would consider. But, uh, uh, for example, the the one I've had in my plots that has done real well is Monaco, um, Monaco. Bermuda grass um, on it. and um, But the challenge is, is going to be getting that water on it because once you— Right. Uh, if, if you put the seed out and it rains and that seed starts to germinate and then it turns off dry— uh, you'll lose all those seedlings. Uh, once that germination process starts within the seed, you can't stop it. it it's not a put the pause on. It's not like hitting the, the DVR and, uh, and coming back to it later. Uh, once you start that or biochemical process of germination, it has to keep going. So then you've got to be able to keep the irrigation to it until it start, establishes a root and begins to pull so, uh, moisture out of the soil on its own. So you got to figure it out, Kevin. How am I going to water that acre of lawn out there? Or is it possible for you to concentrate on the part nearest to the house and let the rest of it sort of do as, as God intends for the, for the weather this month, whether it rains or doesn't rain? You've got to figure that out. But I think Clint is correct. Water is key to keep those little seedlings happy and coming up. Okay, but once it's established, it, it would do fine without the irrigation, right? Once you get it well established, it can, and that's why I recommend the Bermuda grass. Yeah. Is that Bermuda grass is a pretty drought hardy, hardy plant on its own. So, uh, but the key is getting it established. Yeah, if you're going to do it from seed, you've got to have some irrigation. If you're going to do it from sod, you have a little more leeway. But of course, sod over an acre and Kelvin is going to be in the poorhouse. So, <laughs> you you get to decide on that, Kelvin. I think I'll do it in segments. That's uh, from the house. I that's, know how it was. that's that's a very good strategy, Calvin. Is is to do it a little bit in segments, and uh, e even there doing that, you can probably handle it. Doing dragging some hose and a couple of uh, sprinklers. <laughs> Get the kids out there dragging the hose around. That'll be a job. That'll be a great big job. Tim was in Kennesaw and joins us on the lawn and garden. Hey, Tim. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Hey, What's up? Uh, 
interesting to have sod guy on today. I can grow about anything but grass. Uh, <laughs> we so, try to have our, the the pros on this show once in a while. Tim teach me a little bit too, so I can pass it on the rest of the year. But you want to talk about uh, your dogwoods today, right? Yeah, strangest thing, you know, my dogwoods came up and uh, all budded out and everything and, and, and bloomed, but then about, gosh, a, maybe a third or half of the tree was in bud, and you thought, oh, well, maybe this is going to just bloom a week later, and here we are three weeks later, and I've still got the nice buds, but it's dying. No leaves, no, nothing on there? No leaves, nothing. There's leaves on the tree, but where where it's already bloomed out, but not yeah. the not the other areas. The parts that don't have leaves on them, something is keeping water moisture from getting from the roots to that branch, the one that's dead. And you have, we haven't yet had this year, Tim, a call from somebody saying, "Hey, man, I got toothpicks coming out of the trunk of my crepe myrtle, my dogwood, my Japanese maple," but. I want you to look real closely, Tim, and if you see toothpicks, and that's literally what it looks like, toothpicks coming out of the trunk, that's a sign of Asian ambrosia beetle. And it comes about every year. In early May into June, I've got toothpicks in my trees. And they No, that's not what I... I'm standing here looking at it. That's right, not good. the case. That's good. Then something's in there. I don't know what it is. It may not be the beetle, it sounds like. So... On those dead limbs, the ones that do not have leaves right now, for whatever reason, Tim, they're dead. They're not going to leaf yeah, out anymore. Right. I need to cut them out and yeah. burn them, I guess. Yeah. 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 The bark is, it's the, uh, the main trunk uh, where it splits off, right up the center. That one is, uh, the, the bark is peeling off of it. This yeah. tree's, this tree's 15 feet tall. Huh. <laughs> Don't know why, but. Still, still at all. It's still dead, Tim. No matter what we do, it's not yeah, right. going to come back. It's going to be uh, firewood, whatever you want to do with it, but it's not going to be a dogwood with flowers on it anymore. Gotcha. Make a clean cut. You know how to do that. Make a nice clean cut. It's right close to the trunk of the tree. Look for the collar. I know you probably heard me talk before about looking for the collar on the limb where it comes out of the trunk and make your cut just outside that collar and the limb of the trunk will grow over that and heal up and not leave a, a hollow stub or anything like that to make the tree decline further. But cut it right and uh, hopefully the rest of the tree will recover and look real nice. Let's go real quickly to Charles in Marietta. He's been waiting for a good while. Hey, Charles, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for accepting my call. You bet. What you got, Charles? Um, I've got a bunch of knockout roses and azaleas that have been dying about four weeks ago yeah. by lawn care that comes and sprays, put on a new man, and it was a windy day, mm. and right after he, he did everything, it was like a week later, my uh, rose bushes, the uh, the leaves started curling and turning brown, and now half of the plant is dead, and all my azaleas have died and i've got a tree that is starting to die also it is hard to prove herbicide damage charles it sounds like maybe the if you had say had a new guy could be a windy day could be herbicide damage depending sort of what he sprayed and what time of day and some other factors too so other than calling the the manager the district manager of the company and saying would you come out and take a look at these things the pattern to me looks like herbicide damage 
I can't prove it for you. There's not a good test for that that would help you to prove herbicide damage on the roses or the azaleas. You just have to be persuasive as the pattern looks like it and see if the company will do something for you. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right, good luck with it. And sometimes some companies will take liability for things that they're not sure they cause, but just in the interest of good customer service, they will do things for you, Charles. So be sure and ask. Don't don't be hesitant to ask companies. There are many good companies out will take the interest of the customer as being the highest thing they can do is serve the customer, make them happy. It's 748. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And every time it rains, it rains. And it's from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains banners from heaven? You'll find your no clouds coming today. No sorry, Bobcats. Today it's going to be 77 degrees overnight, 56. Tomorrow, a couple of clouds tomorrow, maybe. I have 80, low of 57 tomorrow. Quick weather update brought to you by Findlay Roofing, and we'll have another one. Full weekend forecast in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Jan in Atlanta has a great question for Clint. Hey, Jan. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I'm not sure it's a great question, but a couple years ago, I planted Kentucky bluegrass seed in my yard. And I obviously didn't do it right because all my neighbors now have Kentucky bluegrass in their yard. And it's beautiful in their oh. yard. Oh. And I keep... What? I said, oh, they do. I was going to have you say that everyone else has failed, but yours is the only one that sounds like failed. Theirs looks great. Well, I just think because that seed is so tiny, the wind must have just blown it to their yards. But it's, <laughs> it, it's not in this area, and I don't understand why. And I have a hard time finding the seed. And when I do, it's like a couple hundred dollars to get a bag of it. What do you think, Why Clint? Is it, huh? What does is, what is Jan need, Clint? What does she need to know? Well, I guess medical education here well, might go a long way. Uh-huh. Um, Kentucky bluegrass is a, is a cool season uh, turf species. Yeah. And it's not well adapted for us here in Georgia. Uh, last couple winter or summers, I, I would say, were are, have been fairly normal to mild. Um, and, and some Kentucky bluegrass may persist and survive on a little bit. Eventually, we're going to hit that summer where it's just 95-plus for three, four, five weeks in, in a row. And, and these cool-season species like Kentucky bluegrass just aren't going to live, And uh, as well as our humidity that we typically have is, is causes too much disease. So you couple, couple those together, and Kentucky bluegrass isn't well adapted to, to Georgia. Uh, the only places I tend to recommend it would be more in the higher elevations of the mountains, maybe mixed in with some tall fescue. So Kentucky bluegrass as a species isn't one that, that's well adapted to Georgia and thinking about using for long-term use. Jan, you could be like Jeremiah the prophet and go out there and march up and down your street with a sign saying, doom is coming to your bluegrass lawn. Mine is looking fine with Bermuda or something that's adapted here. But the bluegrass, in one day, the reckoning is going to come. Yep. What I don't understand is it's doing great in their yards. Well, and it's not good. But I didn't know if they had hybrids out there that have been altered to 
grow in our area, if that was true or not. And I would really like to have that in my yard, but <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I there hear there what are some saying. hybrids out there, Jan, but uh, and and our breeders are working really hard at improving some of the environmental aspects to them, like water use and, and heat tolerance and, and drought tardiness and, and that type of thing. But as far as it goes with truly having a Kentucky bluegrass that's well adapted to the southeastern United States, we really don't have one there that that, that we're comfortable with yet. Oh, well, Jan, keep looking. But again, if there is one available, the companies will be certain to bring it out. They'll give it to you to try. Hopefully, they'll give it to Clint first to try. And he has many test plots in Griffin where he tries grasses, tries to see how they behave here in Atlanta and in this environment. And his results so far, Kentucky bluegrass just doesn't quite have the heat and drought and um, humidity tolerance that other grasses do. So, Jan, we got to keep looking for that dark green grass you want. It's 7.58 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this.